conductive way And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by Danny Ryan to discuss Birds of Prey. I am not going to give you the longer title because I am lazy and they've retitled it to Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey anyway. So we're just sticking with Birds of Prey for now. Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantabulously. Nicely played there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm doing great. I loved this film and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I want to start out this conversation with just a quick look into our familiarity with these characters because I had watched Batman the Animated Series many, many years after it was on, and I actually didn't know that was Harley Quinn's first appearance until watching it and doing a little research into it. And I've read some comics that she's been in, obviously, you know, she'll pop up in a bunch of different things. And I'm currently watching the Harley Quinn show on DC Universe. So very, very familiar with Harley Quinn, to say the least. The rest of the Birds of Prey, I knew who they all were. And Renee Montoya had appeared in multiple episodes of Batman the Animated Series too. But for you, how well did you know Harley Quinn and the other characters going into this. And we won't talk about Suicide Squad, so don't worry, everyone. <laughs> Pretty vaguely outside of Harley. Like, I very similarly to you watched Batman the Animated Series. I've been watching the Harley Quinn show on DC uh, streaming because it's great. It is. It's basically Venture Brothers meets Batman the Animated Series. It's a lot of fun. And I've read some of the comics, some of the various, you know, offshoots of the, the general sort of Batman universe uh, and I've always really liked Harley when she's with Poison Ivy, but in the comics, she kind of never stood on her own and it was frustrating. And um, so for me, this was a really great way to finally get to have a this character be somebody I could identify with a little more. Um, and then on top of that, the other birds of prey, I don't know them super well. Okay. Pretty much uh, I've always thought of them as like Batgirl's sidekicks, which <laughs> I know is really not – that's a disservice and, and I recognize that. But the only – I mean I pretty much just remember that weird WB uh, show that they had for a little oh, while yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's my knowledge of Birds of Prey is that that existed. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched that show but just from reading the comics and watching so many other things like – I believe Huntress appeared in the Arrow TV show on the CW and the characters have just popped up and Cassandra Kane is a character who has more recently been in some of the comics and that's a character that really differed from the comics as well in this, which we will get to. But I also wanted to ask you in general, what are your feelings about the recent slate of DC movies? I at least think that it's good that they're trying to branch out and do something different with each movie. They're not trying to make them look the same and fit into this continuous storyline like Marvel did with the MCU, which obviously worked for them, did not work so much for DC when they tried to do it. So I'm kind of glad they're figuring it out, at least it looks like. Yeah, I love the fact that they're trying different things like... I've, 
you know, not loved everything that's come out, but I think the fact that they're letting, you know, different artists with different visions for these properties sort of have their own little one-off things. Like the fact that the last two DC movies were Joker and then this is pretty incredible because you could not be further apart in the universe while talking about some of the same characters. And I think that's really, really interesting that they're willing to explore like that. And same too, like Aquaman is so different from anything else in the DC universe. And it looks like uh, Wonder Woman 84 is going to be a, a different kind of experience. And I really respect that they're doing that and that they're trying different things because, yeah, the Marvel formula worked for Marvel, but I'm kind of bored with it. I kind of am looking forward to them exploring different storytelling through these comic books and everything we've seen out of the Robert Pattinson as Batman stuff that's coming out. I'm sold. Like, it's so different. All right, let's do this. Plus, you have the fact that there are so many different characters that DC can explore. It doesn't just need to be Superman, Batman all the time. And I think they're really starting to figure that out. I believe the Flash movie is still going to happen. I'm not 100% sure, though. I'm not sure anyone is 100% sure on that. But with Birds of Prey, this movie introduces so many new characters that you can tell future stories with, because obviously they set it up to where Yes, a lot of this focuses on your main character, Harley, and Margot Robbie comes back to play her so fantastically. I just love her in this role because she just goes all out with it. And for me, it works. I understand that a movie like this isn't going to necessarily work for everyone, but I think with a lot of the people I've texted and Slack messaged about it, it's one of those where it stood out at least. And yes, there are some plot things going on that we'll touch on in a little bit. But overall, I thought the cast was really solid for this because then you also have Rosie Perez in this. You have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Ewan McGregor, Journey Smollett-Bell, and even just appearances by like Ali Wong. And you have Chris Messina as Victor Zaz. It's just such a fun cast when you put these actors in these different roles and then sort of mash it all together in a Harley Quinn storytelling session. <laughs> well, and everybody is having fun with their roles too. Mm -hmm. it, it feels like nobody's trying to win an Oscar. Nobody's no. taking this comic book story and going, oh, how can I bring out the grit in this? Instead, they're like, oh man, I'm Harley Quinn. You know, I'm a dancing clown girl in roller skates, but I'm, you know, really tough and I'm this cool broad and I'm annoying, but people love me all the same. It's like there's there's a little bit of depth to it, but it's not trying it's not trying too hard to be deep. Um really is the biggest thing that's kind of refreshing and I I think McGregor in particular is a standout. I think his uh his portrayal of the villain um Black Mask he's just yeah, Roman is so scary. His his character in this is just absolutely terrifying and he's this hypersexual, sadistic kind of a freak who just wants to make other people feel bad so that he doesn't feel so small. And he's really scary, but he's also kind of hot and I like it. <laughs> also, owning a club is villain 101. 
You know, yeah. it, it's a thing that someone has to have a club, whether it's Roman or the Penguin or someone. It's always going to be sort of this running theme with certain villains. And it's one that I kind of enjoy because it gives them a front for everything that they're doing. And the fact that Victor Zaz is always by his side and is sort of his right-hand man. And the only character that I thought was semi-problematic. I'm not even really that upset about it, but Cassandra Kane is so drastically different from the comics. And with that character, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but I feel like if you haven't been keeping up with comics in the last like three years, I'm not really spoiling a ton if you didn't have an interest in them anyway. But with Cassandra Kane, she kind of joins the team in Detective Comics, mm -hmm. and she has fighting skills. She's very, very quiet. She is orphaned, and she's kind of just taken in by the Bat Team. And in this, obviously, you have a much different scenario where she's basically a kid on the streets. She does have a place to live, but it's not a great home life. And then she's just sort of this pickpocket who goes around and is constantly in and out of the police station, it seems, because while she's very good at picking things out of people's pockets, she's not very good at not getting caught. Yeah, I don't know very much about her character in the comics. I know um, a, a few small things that I've read folks that have been upset with her portrayal in the movie because they identify so much with her portrayal in the comic books. Yeah. And so they were kind of like, well, why would you do this? You know, when this is something great that we don't get very often and then you're going to take it away from us. So I definitely empathize with that but i don't know the character very well yeah unfortunately to speak on it the only thing i really do you know my husband was like wow they made her younger they so did. i know that's that's a thing that gives me some hope because then maybe she can turn into the character she is in the comics and you know hanging out with harley quinn that's not super likely to happen but she's not on a straight path in the comics right off the bat either it's something that takes a lot of time to foster so the fact that she is seemingly a little younger in this i think helps with the fact that they can not necessarily course correct but sort of just get her going in the same direction as the version of her in the comics and I've always said that I don't need everything to be one for one with the comics when it comes to movie adaptations. I'm okay with characters becoming something different, becoming sort of their own thing in the movies and being something slightly different in the comics. So that's just something I think will be interesting to keep an eye on because of how many people have spoken out about that character in particular. You know, the rest were kind of what you would expect. Yeah, pretty much everybody is like, I know that the only other thing that were, you know, there were some changes um, to Sionis's character and that um, the, sort of a romance with Zaz was downplayed. Um, mm -hmm. But that was stuff that was all sort of just, you know, um, gossip <laughs> and and there's no proof of it. But it does feel like that's a possibility in the final movie. There's a lot of... Um, sort of homoerotic subtext between the two of them where I'm like, mm, I could see this. I could see this being a whole thing. But you know what? That's okay. They still have to sell movies in China. So I guess that's the way she goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously we are going to talk a little bit about 
the joke I kind of made about the title earlier, but I want to talk about the plot and the pacing too, because with this movie in particular, people were texting me and they were like, the first part is a little rough and it kind of jumps around a lot. And after I saw it, I was thinking back to my friends who texted that to me and I was like, yes, it is, but it's also a story coming from Harley Quinn Mm -hmm. and she is notorious for not getting facts straight when it comes to storytelling and sort of just overemphasizing certain things and sort of being scatterbrained. And she's never going to tell a story that starts at point A and gets to point B nice and linearly. Exactly. Uh, Anybody that I've been trying to sort of recommend this movie to that isn't a big comic book fan or doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge about the property i'm like guys it's deadpool it's a lot i mean it's not quite as meta it's not quite as wink and a nod and hold handy but it is very much deadpool like and that we have an unreliable narrator who is having a blast yeah. and i never heard anybody complain about that in deadpool and he does all kinds of rewinds and fast forwards in his storytelling so yeah double standard guys <laughs> you can hang you can hang with harley it's not that hard to follow It really isn't. And it kind of just adds this touch of personality to the character. And there are some people who just don't like movies that have narration over them at all. And that I understand, because that's something that you have to do very well for it to hit for everyone. Something like, you know, the Shawshank Redemption, where you have Morgan Freeman narrating. And for that story, that type of narration works, because you're going back and you're going through this lengthy, lengthy time period, much lengthier than Birds of Prey, and sort of just covering all the bases. And with Birds of Prey, you're kind of like, okay, we know this is Harley telling a story, so we know it's going to be sloppy and (laughs) everything about this is not going to be nice and neat. Well, and I feel like a lot of the voiceover, while it is expository, it's really fun. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so much personality written in the voiceover, and Robbie's performance is so great that it never felt unnecessary. Like, I'll complain about voiceover all day, every day, because (laughs) one of my all-time favorite movies is Blade Runner, and if you've ever seen the theatrical cut, like, that's enough to make you want to quit voiceovers in film forever. (laughs) (sighs) Cold fish. That's what my wife called me. But... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good voiceover. Robbie does a great job with it. And I really think that this film, while it's not as cohesive as it could be, and it does jump around and things, that it manages to make such a fun little story to follow and that you're having so much fun moment to moment that it doesn't really matter that much. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess that's my big thing with it. Like when, you know, there's other films where it's it jumps around or it's a little confusing or whatever. And if you're bored, then you start thinking about it. Then you're like, well, why why is this happening? And what, what happened to so-and-so and what's going on? Whereas with this, I was just like, oh, the music started and now there's colors. And now somebody said something fun. I'm distracted. It doesn't matter. This is great. I think they put the song beats and the action beats and just all of these things dropped at the right time so that there was never a long stretch where you were thinking about things too much. And that's why this movie worked so well for me, because it's not like we had 30 minutes of it where we were just like, 
where's this going? What's happening? You knew that something was going to be happening, even if it wasn't working out quite the way you or Harley Quinn planned. <laughs> you know, it was something exactly. that I think kept you on your toes enough to the point where you're kind of like, okay, I'm along for the ride. And if, like I said, there are people who weren't, that's fine. It was a bit of a chaotic movie and that's going to work for some people and not for others. And I really just think that despite all of the maybe inconsistencies in the storytelling, it just played to the character. So it worked for me and I didn't really have a tough time with the pacing because they didn't make this a two and a half hour superhero movie. It was less oh, than exactly. two hours. It's like 90 minutes. It's this beautiful little you know, bite of a movie that, you know, I've gone and seen it twice in theaters and I don't go see very much in theaters because, mm -hmm. you know, I have to go drive in the snow and I have to, you know, <laughs> put on 12 layers. I'm understanding that feeling now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh, am I going to use my AMCA list three times this month? You know, it's been snowing yeah. a lot. So I'm like, okay, if I can go once a week, I'm in good shape. But, you know, being... In places like where you and I are, it's not necessarily always easy for people to go to the movies. And I was very thankful I got to see this in Dolby because where I am, oh, it's so stuff good. only lasts in Dolby for a week and then it's on to the next Dolby movie. So it's like you have a very limited window, regardless of how long the movie is actually at the theater, to see it in Dolby itself because there's only one Dolby room at the theater. So it changes out very quickly. I was like, all right, I got to go see Birds of Prey the first week so I can see it in Dolby. And, you know, when it comes to things like the visuals and the soundtrack, that really paid off because we'll touch on the visuals first here. There are so many colors in this. So, so many colors in this fun superhero slash villain movie. They're not really heroes. I mean, they're kind of anti-heroes for at least Harley and everything in this particular storyline. But when she goes into the police station and you have all these colors popping on the, the screen and the fun house itself, you have just so many things going on. And Visually, it looked good and it looked like how you would expect a Harley Quinn movie to look. And honestly, this movie, it, I felt so much better coming out of this than I did when I saw Joker. I was like, oh, okay, DC, thank you for not crushing me twice in a row. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine, like, just because Joker, it's rough. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very emotionally draining. And this is the opposite. This is kind of like an injection of fun you know it's um i saw somebody describe it as skittles on screen i was like yeah that's that's fairly <laughs> that, accurate that is <laughs> you know she has a fun gun that shoots canisters of different things at one point it shoots mustard um it shoots glitter it shoots smoke bombs it shoots all kinds of crazy stuff and then you've got these crazy costumes you've got little tiny meta moments that aren't quite like I said they're not quite to the level of Deadpool but even a moment where Black Canary turns to Cassandra Kane and she goes she's like when did she have time to change her shoes you know because <laughs> Harley Quinn has changed into roller skates in the middle of a fight and um there's just it's such a charming film and a big part of that is that it you can tell that that they had fun on set, that this was something that was kind of, that they actually were able to interact with too. Like I think a mm -hmm. big part of the greatness of these visuals is that these were 
mostly sets because my biggest visual complaints and and the biggest ones I've heard from people is that the last two, um, not the fun house itself, but outside the fun house on the docks uh-huh. and then the, the docks at the very, very end are all kind of clearly CGI. And after yeah. the greatness of those fun house sets that were painstakingly built that you can tell are really there because they're running around and skating around on them. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is running across these giant tongues sticking out of clown faces and all this <laughs> stuff. And there's a slide and like, it's all really there. And it's yeah. it, the, t- the tangibility of it makes the action feel so much more real too. I hate in in superhero movies when they're just fighting in big gray spaces i'm like oh you're in an airplane hangar again cool i guess whereas this i was like oh cool we're fighting in a fun house we're fighting in an apartment we're fighting in, in you know chinatown like there were these actual tangible places and things we could see and i think that really really gave life to the film it made the fight scenes feel more rewarding too because it wasn't necessarily this huge to do it's just like harley was trying to go through her everyday life you know she was hiding out in this apartment and then it gets wrecked and she's worried about her hyena and yes while the hyena was very obviously cgi i still think it worked oh, bruce well was good enough bruce, yeah. bruce's cg was good i just didn't like the cg of like environments but right, bruce himself right. was fine yeah and because you, you're not going to get a real hyena <laughs> to no. stand in it's one thing when you have like dogs and horses and cats and you, you can do that shoot even like bears and lions but hyenas like no yeah so i love just the size of bruce and <laughs> the laugh and that worked so well for me visually too and a lot of what i enjoyed about the visuals was just the fact that it was so very harley quinn-esque and even when she just picks up her mallet and her old shirt from Suicide Squad, which I know we said we wouldn't talk about, but you can't really not notice that if you've seen the movie. So just those little moments where they were like, yeah, we're kind of going to make fun of this thing that happened before and still give Harley her sort of quintessential weapon. Right. Well, and it ties it, it ties it together. Like I love when she goes into the uh, police station and she's like, where's Cassandra Kane?" And they tell her and as she's walking out, she points to... Uh, one of the other guys from Suicide Squad on the wall. She's like, oh, I know that guy. (laughs) There's just some great little Easter eggs that are there for the people who are, you know, paying attention or looking for them. And then there's stuff that's just there to help us understand this character. And, and you know, to the point of sets and setting, um, that whole fight, you know, after she's out of the jail cells and she's in the evidence room and she's mm-hmm. or the evidence lockup and she's in there with all this stuff and there's this great moment where she turns and she looks and there's a bat and a chainsaw and i was like okay you're riffing on like five different things here <laughs> like pulp fiction is the first one that yeah. popped into my mind but and it was so fun to sit there because i heard my mom gasp she was like not the chainsaw like <gasps> and i was like no and then she grabbed the bat and my mom's like yeah and it was just so cool that you know, this this character that so far has only appealed to a certain demographic in this was able to appeal to pretty much everybody if they were willing to jump on board and have fun with it. Uh, I think it's just, it's fun. Like, th- there's just no other word for this movie than fun. And if you're not having fun with it, then that's on you, fam. 
<laughs> well, I do want to talk about a few more things before we start to wrap this up. I know yes. this is something I typically don't discuss on the podcast, but I think with this movie, the marketing is particularly interesting because it wasn't that great. I mean, after the first trailer, I was hooked, but I feel like they didn't do a fantastic job of selling this as a Birds of Prey movie because of how prominently it featured Harley Quinn. And the title kind of gives you the opposite sense because Birds of Prey comes first and you think you're going to get that team the entire movie. And really, you get a glimpse of them going on to become Birds of Prey without Harley. So then you're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? And you can definitely understand why in movie theaters, people are going to miss the whole Harley Quinn section of the title because it's so long and mm -hmm. you're starting it with Birds of Prey. So I do understand the name change, but I think if they were way too late on it, it's like, you guys didn't think this through entirely. And while people like the two of us were in from the start, not everyone is going to be as familiar with some of these characters. Exactly. Uh, I think it was very, very poorly marketed in a, a couple of different ways. I mean, the name change, because uh, I've had to explain, I'm like, they're like, oh, what movie did you go see? And I'm like, Birds of Prey. And they're like, what's that? And then I go, the Harley Quinn movie. And they go, oh, yeah, I wanted to see that. <laughs> I mean, it's weird how there was this disconnect. And a lot of people went in, you know, there were people that were worried it was going to be like really serious, like Joker. There were people that were like, oh, this looks like, su I'm not going to see another Suicide Squad. Exactly. Suicide Squad was terrible. Like it had so much going against it that they could have done something with the marketing to sort of, you know, assure people like, hey, this is something different. It's tonally very, very different. Uh, it's something that, you know, it's a hard R comic book movie, but it's not something that, you know, you're going to leave the feel theater feeling like crap, which is kind of yeah. nice. And none of that really came across in the marketing. I was in from the first trailer too, but I was sold, you know, when I heard Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie movie, because she's the best thing in Suicide Club or Suicide. Yeah. Suicide Squad. <laughs> Suicide Squad. I know. Suicide Club's a Japanese movie. I don't know what I'm doing. It's okay. But she's, yeah, she's the best thing in it. So I was in from the jump, but a lot of people just didn't know what they were getting into or weren't interested in all because it was poorly marketed. And then the fact that it's February and we've been getting nailed with blizzards like across the country. Like, yeah, I moved out of the South and now they're all getting blizzards. So... <laughs> It's everywhere. There's snow everywhere. And that hurts movie theaters tickets. Yeah. Winter is definitely a tough time for a lot of places that aren't California and Texas. So it's one of those things where if you have it to where you're releasing this movie at a weird time of year and yes, it's still a DC movie. So people who can go see it are going to go see it. But you would think, you know, maybe you push this to April or May, just mm -hmm. so that you know, the weather's going to be at least a little better in 90% of places. And you're going to get more people going out and seeing this movie because the weather's nice. And while I will still go when it is cold, I'm not going to go when the roads are icy and sludgy and <laughs> disgusting because that's dangerous and a movie isn't worth that risk to me. Exactly. Well, and the other thing too is I think it's interesting you mentioned wanting to see it in Dolby. I saw it in Dolby too and, and 
I'm glad that I did, but I talked to somebody else who saw this and their theater was having uh, sound issues. Uh. And this is a movie that has such an incredible soundtrack and has some really fun sound effects, has a great score that blends with the soundtrack that I feel like if you weren't getting the full sound, that it would not be nearly as enjoyable. Not at all. Um, And same, you know, when you see something that the projection's wrong, where they forgot to take off the 3D filter or whatever. And so then everything is, you know, flat and kind of black. And you can't see stuff. And and so I think people are losing trust in the theater, too. So they're not going out as much. Because why watch it there where it'll be screwed up when you can watch your settings perfect at home? So that's my little rant. Sorry. I'm mad because people are like, Birds of Prey underperformed because women. And I'm like, no, it underperformed because it's February and the marketing sucked, nerds. Yeah, and you can't even say that, oh, rated R superhero movies don't work anymore because of the success of Deadpool, Deadpool 2, Logan. You know, we've had these successful rated R movies that have been superhero or supervillain movies, if you will. And I think it's just one of those things where DC definitely didn't get it right with you know, making sure people knew when this was out, making sure people knew who was going to be in it and what it really was as a movie. So it's hard to just say it was only one thing because obviously there are multiple factors just Mm -hmm. coming together as a whole here. And look, it still made some money. It's not like it made two million opening weekend or something like that. I think in the long run, it'll stay in theaters long enough for DC to make back a lot of their money and hopefully make a profit off of it and so on and so forth. But it's one of those things where it kind of remains to be seen where this movie is going to stand. It's not going to do as well as Joker, obviously. It's not going to do as well as Aquaman or even Shazam, maybe. But I think it's still a step in the right direction, even if the numbers don't necessarily reflect that. And, you know, you mentioned the soundtrack. Great stuff. If people want to go check that out. I highly recommend that. If you can't make it to the theaters, hey, maybe at least you can listen to the soundtrack or something. Yeah, the soundtrack is absolutely killer. Um, I've been listening to it on repeat since I saw the movie pretty much. Uh, It's just a lot of really interesting, like there's a couple of really weird different covers. Um, Like Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Yeah. Covered and it's really slow. I thought it was Lord at first. It's not. (laughs) Um, Adana, but it's yeah, it sounds it's this really slow, like grimy uh, version of you know an '80s classic. Um, there's there's just some great songs on there. All of the lyrics really do kind of fit the movie or the story. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them I think were directly written for the movie because there's a couple, there's two at least that have rap little uh, rap breakdowns about Harley Quinn. So that's kind of neat uh it's on spotify so or wherever you get your music so definitely go check it out because it's a bop (laughs) all the pun intended all of it absolutely (laughs) well danny is there anything else you want to talk about i know we've gone through this pretty quickly here and obviously we can you know dive into some favorite moments whatever you want i i think yeah favorite moments or the the thing i think uh I just want to talk about Huntress for a second and how much I love her. (laughs) I I just thought Mary Elizabeth Winstead knocked it out of the park as Huntress. Um, I feel like in a lot of movies, she's not given quite enough to do. And in this, this, that could have been the case, but it's worked in the, the character's favor because she's mysterious. And when she finally does sort of get to talk, she's kind of awkward and cute and... 
Uh, just absolutely loved that. There's a sequence where she pulls up on her motorcycle and helps Harley. She's like, need a ride? And Harley practically has little hearts pop into her eyes. And I was just like, all of us feel the same, girl. We we do. We really do. (laughs) And that character was definitely a concern because she's introduced so late in the movie in comparison to everyone else. So you're kind of like, okay, what are they going to do with Huntress? And obviously they give a little bit of an origin story for everyone who isn't Harley. Harley is sort of in the middle of this crisis because she's broken up with the Joker, which, again, the DC Universe show is kind of in the same spot as the mm-hmm. character is in this movie. So if you like this, definitely go check that out because it's so fun to see that the TV show and the movie are kind of lined up at this certain point in Harley's life, but in very different ways. So, you know, with Huntress, you're kind of like, okay, what are they going to do with her? Is this going to work out in the end? And because you have flashbacks where Mary Elizabeth Winstead is not in them because it's a younger version of her, you're kind of like, okay, are they going to take too much time going through these flashbacks and kind of bringing us up to speed with the character? And I think they hit a pretty good balance with it. I do too. That made her character enjoyable. And Black Canary, you don't have her entire backstory quite as much, but you get her history with... Roman. And I think that helps because you're kind of like, okay, she's just the singer and then she becomes the driver and she kind of moves up and gets closer to him. And then she's starting to learn about all of these different things and what's been going on behind the scenes a little more. So that pits her against him. And she's the one talking to Renee Montoya and they just have this back and forth with all of these characters that worked so well and I love the scene when they're in Roman's office and he has like these trinkets from various places and oh, the just, shrunken heads yeah and, uh, and yeah. he's just going on and on about them and thinking she's interested and she kind of has to pretend that she is totally into what he is talking about because he thinks everything revolves around what he wants to say and do. And if he, and if he is not the center of attention, he throws a temper tantrum and his temper tantrums can be very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Sionis is, he's such an interesting character because he's so childish, but then he does such horribly adult things. Yeah. I love him. Is that a snot bubble? Ew. <laughs> like he kills a girl cause she gets a snot bubble on her nose. It's ridiculous. A very, almost like a Bond villain, like a 60s Bond villain, or like 60s Batman villain, um, which is why it works. It's the right level of campy. It felt like they almost pulled him right out of Batman 66. (laughs) Right, which is perfect, honestly. Like, I love it. I mean, and the fact that you, you know, you've got... Uh, Black Canary feels pulled out of almost like a 70s black exploitation. Like she feels like Foxy Brown in places mm-hmm. with the high kicks and the tight pants and the <laughs> funk soundtrack. And uh, it, it's just, a, it's a blast. And watching all of them interact, Renee Montoya is an 80s cop. Oh, like yeah. you've got each of the decades represented here. You got the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then I guess Huntress could be 90s and Harley's now. Yeah. Or well, Cassandra's now because she's the, the Zoomer. But... <laughs> It's it's just such a fun movie. And the way they interact, yeah. Like, like you said, I feel like, you know, even if you don't think the writing is super strong as far as the plot and as far as how it's organized, you know, this uh, was 
reshot. There were some things uh, that happened during production that, you know, may have led to sort of the chaotic nature of the storytelling. But I feel like the writing moment to moment is absolutely incredible. You Mm -hmm. can tell that there were authentic voices both behind the camera and in front of it. Uh, I mean, just the fact that one little moment in the, you know, funhouse fight scene where Black Canary's hair's getting in her face and Harley gives her a hair tie. And I was just like, oh, my God, I've never seen that in a movie before. Like, (laughs) I've done that 900 million times. You know, I've had other women ask me for hair ties more than I can think to remember, but I've never seen that in a movie. And here it is. These characters just did this really relatable, really cool little thing and then went back to kicking butt, you know, to freaking Barracuda by heart. Like, yeah. It was, it, it just made my heart sing. I was like, is this what it feels like to watch Luke Skywalker when you're a boy? Like, is this what that's like? <laughs> I would also like to give a shout out to Roman's wardrobe. Oh my God, yes. Especially the one shirt that has his faces on it. Yes. Oh my God. His whole, I, I would wear his whole wardrobe though, seriously. Like... <laughs> Every single one of those jackets, I will take them. They are fabulous. Oh, I love Roman Sionis. He might be one of my favorite villains ever. He's just delightful. He's so awful and delightful at the same time. And Ewan McGregor has been on such a hot streak lately, too. It's oh, just he, like, he oh, is, is no this wrong. his comeback or something? Where did, well, I don't think he ever went away at first, but that's because I've been a McGregor fangirl since... Fair enough. Train spotting. Like, it's bad. But yeah, but no, this and Dr. Sleep, he's killing it. I'm so happy for him. Yeah. I think these have just been on a scale that maybe some of the other movies that he's done more recently haven't quite been on. So as someone who hasn't seen everything he's been in or close to everything he's been in, I wasn't super sure, like, what happened with him. I was like, is he he doing a thing? Is he going to be Obi-Wan? What's going on? Uh, Pretty much anytime I see he's anything, I'm just like, yay, he's here. (laughs) So yeah, him being cast in this, I was like, oh, well, I'm already on board. There we go. Sold. (laughs) Yeah. Well, do you have any other favorite moments you want to talk about? Or we can move on to anything else you would like. Open discussion here. The casting is great. The I I just don't want I feel like I'm going to be a broken record. It's great. It's great. It's great. Like, yeah, it's funny. I would watch a whole TV series of these characters uh, if they decided to do like a Birds of Prey TV show, even without Harley Quinn. I think it could work. I think everybody had really good chemistry and I liked the fact that the women were supportive of one another without it being cloying or feeling mm-hmm. like girl power. Like it never felt shoved down my throat. I never felt like I was being sold something, which is kind of nice. It's not like there's a scene in Age of Ult- Is it Age of Ultron? What's the last one? What's the final Avengers movie that just ended it all? Endgame. Thank you. I'm not good at these. I was like, wait, there's so many. Hold on. (laughs) There's so many. There's so many. Age of Transformers? No, no, in Endgame, there's a sequence where, you know, all the women team up and it's like this big rousing moment. And like, I felt so force fed. I was like, oh, girl power. Yay. Great. Whereas in this, they give each other a hard time. They rib each other. They call each other assholes. Like, oh my God. And they don't want to work together initially either, which makes it so much better when they finally kind of come to their senses. And Harley's kind of like, well, you pissed off this person and you pissed off this person and you were dumb enough to investigate this person. So seems like we have no choice here, ladies. Yeah, like we have to work together. That's kind of a thing. Deal with it. It's great. I absolutely love it. And they each get to shine in their own way. 
way. Each of them is good, really good at something. Each of them has their own weakness. And not everything is wrapped up nice and neat with a bow. You know, the fact that uh, when we see Renee Montoya at the end, this is all going to be spoilers, so just quit now. Yes. Big spoilers, ending spoilers. You know, we see Renee Montoya leaving the police station and she takes a swig out of out of her uh, flask, you know, so she's still kind of got an alcohol problem. So that's something that could be explored down the way. You know, the huntress got done killing all the people that killed their family. Well, now what? Is crime, you know, stopping other crime going to make her feel better? Like... Uh, Black Canary, you know, is trying to deal with the fact that her mom died uh, helping the police. Now, if she's with the Birds of Prey helping the police, like, mm-hmm. what what does that mean for her? Like, each of these characters were set up with, there's so much more we can do with this universe, like, with these exact characters. And I would love to see that. And I would love to, I really hope the same team stays on. I think the director... Kathy Yon did a great job. Yeah. I just think it's great all around. I think the writers are great. I think the direction's great. I think the action sequences are great. I know some of the reshoots where the John Wick guys came in and Mm -hmm. helped with the action sequences, which they can do no wrong either. So (laughs) yeah, just all around very high quality. Uh, And it's, I mean, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. So it is only February, but that is still a pretty good sign. And I am very glad that both of us were able to Go see this, despite the weather we may have been having. And, you know, it's one of those things where I love talking about movies like this because I feel like once I walk out of the theater, I really know how I feel about it. And I know exactly all of the things I want to talk about. So, Danny, I'm very, very happy that you decided to join me for this one. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I uh, apologize if I just kept saying it's amazing over and over. But <laughs> Uh, it's it's hard not to be on kind of a sugar high from this movie because it's so unusual to just uh, have that much fun for 90 minutes without ever uh, getting bored or feeling let down or disappointed or whatever. It's just, it's a blast and I'm very excited to be here and talk about it. Yeah, I think this movie has a very high rewatchability factor and it's mm-hmm. one that I think not all of the DC movies have sort of accomplished that status. I think, you know, Shazam was fun. Wonder Woman 84 will probably hit that pretty quickly. Joker, not so much. I am not <laughs> interested in <laughs> rewatching that anytime soon. And this, it's one of those things where I hope they give some fun bonus features when they release it on Blu-ray and DVD and whatnot so that for those of us who enjoyed it, we can just sort of get a little extra out of it and enjoy it even more maybe. But that'll remain to be seen because a Blu-ray release will be quite a ways away. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of the first times in a long time where I watched something that was part of a superhero property and I was like, wow, I want more. (laughs) You know, like like the past five, six years, it's sort of just been like, oh, that was good. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm done with it. And I'm not like, oh, I need more of that. Because there's so much. There's such a glut of, of superhero stuff. But when I walked out of Birds of Prey, I was like, I, I want more of that. That specific that. That's what I want. So hopefully we'll get some more. Exactly. Well, that's a perfect place to wrap this up. Quickly, before we go, I want to let you know about our Patreon for a dollar a month. You can support the podcast in general. For $2 a month, you can 
pick a topic, I'll cover it on the podcast if it hasn't already been covered. And for $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack, which Danny and I are both in, as well as some other previous guests of the podcast. And you can chat with us about movies, TV shows, what have you. And you can find us on Twitter at Geekdom Pod and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.